is coming a day when no heartache shall come, no more clouds in the sky, no more tears to dim the eye. All is peace forevermore on that happy golden shore. What a day, glorious day that will be. What a day that will be when my Jesus I shall see. And I look upon his face, the one who saved me by his grace. When he takes me by the hand and leads me through the promised land, what a day, glorious day that will be. There'll be no sorrow there, no more burdens to bear, no more sickness, no pain, no more parting over there, and forever. I will be with the one who died for me. What a day, glorious day that will be. What a day that will be when my Jesus I shall see. And I look upon his face, the one who saved me by his grace. When he takes me by the hand, and leads me through the promised land. What a day, glorious day that will be. What a day that will be when my Jesus I shall see. And I look upon his face, the one who saved me by his grace. When he takes me by the hand, and leads me through the promised land. What a day, glorious day that will be. <laughs> Amen. Yeah, we can go to hear that one again. I like that one, don't you? What a day that will be. Boy, that's going to be a day, man. Wow, that's going to be a day. Well, take your Bibles and turn over to the book of 1 Samuel chapter 7. 1 Samuel chapter 7, we're going to begin there. I'll tell you where to start here in just a moment. 1 Samuel chapter 7, again, the last Sunday morning of the year. It's amazing. I can't hardly believe it. It uh, just seems like the years just keep on, I mean, flying by. I mean, faster and faster. As they say, the older you get, the faster they go. And when you're young, you think, nah, that's not the case. But boy, I'll tell you what it is, isn't it? It just seems like you close your eyes, you wake up, and it's the end of the year already. And uh, boy, I'll tell you what, we, we have a lot to look forward to, but uh, boy, it just seems that the days just fly on by. Won't be long, we will be enjoying that day that we're just singing about. And it doesn't matter how old you are, it's just a vapor, the Bible says, that appeareth for a little time, then vanisheth away. That's what our life is in relationship to eternity, a vapor. Isn't that a something to think of it in that, that way? And boy, I tell you, when you think of it the way God describes it, it should put a sense of urgency in our hearts to accomplish much for him while we still have opportunity and time. Well, the ark of God has been taken in battle. And for seven months, it remained with the Philistines. Well, during that time, the Philistines were plagued with one thing or another, 
so plagued to the point where they finally said, we've got to get rid of this ark. They got so anxious to get rid of the ark that finally they put it on a new cart and they, uh, they, they delivered it to Beth Shemesh. And there in a field, Joshua's field, there in Beth Shemesh, this ark came to rest. Uh, Kerjath-Jerim would be contacted ultimately. Uh, there in the field, of course, and before I go too far, at Beshemesh, unfortunately, the priest and some of the leadership decided to look into the ark, and that was a no-no. God didn't want them looking in the ark. Unfortunately, many, many died as a result of their rebellion and disobedience. God had made it clear that's not something he wants for them. And uh, I'll tell you what, there's always consequences when we rebel or disobey God. There always are consequences. And we, we may say to ourselves, well, you know what? God's a loving God and God cares about us. So God would never want to harm or hurt or allow any negative or critical thing to happen to us. However, may I say that we do have to realize that we reap what we sow. That's what the Bible teaches. And we have to be very aware of the fact that when we sin against God, and that's indeed who we are sinning against more than anyone else, it's God, there are consequences. And in this case, there were consequences. And so the, the men of Beth Shemesh were like, let's get rid of that thing as well. They got a hold of, they got a hold of, uh, uh, of, of, of the people there in Kirjath-Jerim. And finally they came and they picked up, they got the ark there to Kirjath-Jerim. And there it sat in Kirjath-Jerim for 20 years. For 20 years it sat there. And the Bible says that Israel lamented after the Lord. They lamented after the Lord. They'd been under the, the hand of the Philistines. They'd been in occupation. The Philistines had been occupying the, 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 the Israelites. And for 20 years, the Israelites now have sat there being under the, the harsh, cold hand of the Philistines. And now they're looking to God and they want God to deliver them. They want God to do a miracle in their city, their towns, their, their nation, their lives. So in 1 Samuel chapter 7, we pick up there in, in verse 3 now. The Bible says, And Samuel spake unto all the house of Israel, saying, If ye do return unto the Lord with all your hearts, then put away the strange gods and Eshtaroth from among you, and prepare your hearts unto the Lord, and serve him only. And he will deliver you out of the hand of the Philistines. We needn't go much further, but we're going to read the, uh, up to verse 12. But to stop there and just to kind of, I don't know, kind of, remind ourselves of what was just said there. The fact is that Israel had found themselves in idolatry, that they had turned their back on the very God that had delivered them out of Egypt. They had chosen to walk a path that said, we're willing to put another God, something else, someone else ahead of you. And boy, I'll tell you what, the consequences of that decision were devastating, not only to them and their generation, but to the generations that would follow. And now 20 years, here they are, and they're still looking to God to deliver them. And Samuel, their leader, is telling them, you got to put away the strange gods. And you got to go to the Lord and prepare your hearts unto him and, he'll, and serve him only. And then he'll deliver you out of the hand of the Philistines. Verse 4, then the children of Israel did put away Balaam and Ashtaroth and served the Lord only. Good decision. And Samuel said, Gather all Israel to Mizpah, and I will pray for you unto the Lord. And they gathered together to Mizpah and drew water and poured it out before the Lord and fasted on that day and said there, we have sinned against the Lord. By the way, you know what? It's, it's not enough to acknowledge your sin in the sense of just, you know, I'm a bad person. And so God knows already. No, God wants to hear you say it. 
I think we've come to a place where we kind of like, you know what, everybody's got some sin in their lives, so you know what, God knows I'm a sinner anyway. Let's just move forward. I want to get past that. I want to deal with that. No, you don't just deal with it by forgetting about it. You deal with it by admitting it, confessing it, and facing it. This idea that you just, just walk past your sin, that, well, that's my sin, I'm done with that, let's move on. No, you need to go to God and confess that sin. You need to say, I have sinned, and this is where I have sinned. And that's what we see here. The people of God come to this place now where they say, they, they flat out come out and tell the Lord, we have sinned against you, God. But I'll tell you what, that's a great day in our lives when we come to the realization that it is God we have sinned against. And so anyway, he goes on to say, we have sinned against the Lord, verse 6, and Samuel judged the children of Israel in Mizpah. Oh, I wonder what that's supposed to mean, by the way. He judged them. Don't judge me. He judged the people of God. I think what he was saying is Samuel was wondering and making sure that they were sincere. Oh, it's, anybody can say, I'm sorry, but do you really mean it? Samuel's judging whether or not they're legit, whether they're sincere, whether they really mean what they say or whether they're just going through the motions because they just want delivered. And when, verse 7, the Philistines heard that the children of Israel were gathered together to Mizpah, the lords of the Philistines went up against Israel. And when the children of Israel heard it, they were afraid of the Philistines. And why not? For 20 years they've been occupied by them. And the children of Israel said to Samuel, Cease not to cry unto the Lord our God for us, that he will save us out of the hand of the Philistines. And Samuel took a sucking lamb and offered it for a burnt offering holy unto the Lord. And Samuel cried unto the Lord for Israel, and the Lord heard him. And as Samuel was offering up the burnt offering, the Philistines drew near to battle against Israel, but the Lord thundered with a great thunder on that day upon the Philistines and discomfited them. And they were smitten before Israel. Isn't that something that God stepped in? God did a supernatural work. God did something that could not be defined, that could not be uh, dismissed. It was simply God that did it. And the Bible goes on to say, And the men of Israel went out of Mizpah and pursued the Philistines and smote them until they came unto Bethkar. So now here they are, discomforted, and now Israel takes, their, takes flight and goes after the enemy and has a great victory that day. Notice verse 12. Then Samuel took a stone and set it between Mizpah and Shen and called the name of it Ebenezer, saying, Hitherto hath the Lord helped us. Hitherto hath the Lord helped us. Again, on the battlefield, years ago, Israel had suffered a great defeat. So great the defeat that even the Ark of the Covenant had been taken. And now here is Israel again, pleading for God's deliverance, pleading for God's help, asking for a miraculous victory, and God indeed provided that miracle. Then their priest, their leader at the time, Samuel, he, he steps up to the plate and he says, it's time to put a monument in place. This monument will remind us of God's strong hand in our victory. This monument will remind us that, that it was all God that did it. Hitherto hath the Lord helped us. And he called it Ebenezer. 
this stone pillar called God's people to remembrance. Every time they passed this stone, they remembered how God had delivered them. I'm sure they remembered how they had gone to the God and said, we are sinners, we have failed you, we have followed after other gods, but we now turn our hearts to you and serve only you, God. And God miraculously delivered them. And every time they pass Ebenezer Stone, they think to themselves and say to themselves, God did it that day. Because of God, we're free today. And every time they walked hand in hand with their children, they'd point out Ebenezer Stone and say, see that stone that marks the day God delivered us. Remember when God delivered us. And grandma and grandpa would take the grandbabies down the street to Uncle Tom's house or wherever it was. And they'd say, look at that Ebenezer stone. Look at that. And they'd say, well, what's the big deal, grandpa? What's the big deal, grandma? What's the big deal? God delivered us that day. It was God's strong hand. Again, this stone pillar called God's people to recall a time when God turned the events from bad to blessing. And every time they saw the Ebenezer stone, they remembered how God helped them in the past. And because God helped them in the past, they knew that his help was available today. The Ebenezer stone was a picture. A picture of the fact that God would hear that God would answer prayer. And indeed he did. It reminded them that when they turned their whole heart to him, they had every resource available from him. And even as the Israelites were to remember what God had done for them, this morning I want to contend that you and I are to remember As you and I look back on 2018, we need to remember some things. And in remembering, it ought to to do something for us. And I want to spend just a few minutes talking about the fact that although we may not have some Ebenezer stones, we have some things in our lives that God has done that we should be able to look back to as Ebenezer stones and say, God did it that day. God intervened in my life, my family, my relationships. God did a miracle. Because God did a miracle, I know God can do it again. Father, we come to you. We ask, Lord, you'd speak to our hearts today. Lord, that you'd work in our lives, that, Lord, we would not soon forget what you have accomplished and done for us and to us this year. Lord, not that every situation has been pleasant, not that everything that's taken place has been comfortable, but Lord, everything is to your glory. We do not understand sometimes why or what you're doing, but we do know that you care and that, Father, you are there. And as we look back, as we begin to reflect, many times you'll begin to reveal to us what you were doing and how you were, or why you were doing it, or We'll see the fruit or evidence of it. And Lord, it may take more than just a few weeks, months, or years. But the fact is, Lord, is that there's always a reason. And yet, Lord, in each of our lives, we can see you at work, even in the small things. Lord, may we set many stones, reminders, if you will, memorials of what you have done for us and how you have worked in our lives so that we, can, we are not soon to forget you. 
We'll thank you in Christ's name. Amen. We live in a world where it's easy to forget God, isn't it? I mean, we are so busy and it's so easy to be distracted. But we need to have some Ebenezer stones around us. We need to remember a few things along the way. And this morning, I just want to mention just three basic ones. First of all, we need to remember God's grace in our life. And, and we could, I guess, sum that up in one word, salvation. Well, I'll tell you what, how quick and how soon we are to forget that we're just flat saved. Born again by the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, there ought to be an Ebenezer in your past, an Ebenezer stone in your past that points to the day that you trusted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. And boy, I'll tell you, as you face 2019, and although you may have huge obstacles to face, you ought to be able to look back and say, I know God helped me to escape the biggest obstacle. And that biggest obstacle was me and my sin. God did a miracle that day, and God can do it again. Not that you need saved a second time, but you're certainly going to need God, that's for sure. Jeremiah 17, 9 says, The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? Ecclesiastes 7.20 says, For there's not a just man upon earth that doeth good and sinneth not. And finally, in Ephesians 2.8 and 9, points to the grace of God when it says, For by grace are ye saved through faith, not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. Aren't we fortunate and aren't we thankful and aren't we grateful today that God saved our souls? We ought to be remembering today. We ought to have an Ebenezer stone that points back to the day when we got on our knees, whether it's proverbially or whether it's practically speaking, we got on our knees and cried out to God and said, Oh God, I'm a sinner. Oh God, I need your forgiveness. Oh God, I need your deliverance. Save my soul. There ought to be an Ebenezer stone of God's grace in our life. Remembering God's grace. Well, I'll tell you what, you want to see some of the most ingrates in the world. You want to see people that are The most unthankful of all, it's those that have already had a good reason to be thankful that have forgotten why. And boy, a believer that's trusted Christ and had good reason to be thankful to God, many times they're the most difficult and most wretched beings on earth. Sad and discouraged and down in the dump people in the world, they forget what God has done. Oh, place an Ebenezer stone in your life and look back at it. In 2018, rejoice in the grace of God, knowing that you're saved. And if you're not, you need to get saved, forgiven, born again, placed in the body of Christ, the family of God, God's grace. But not only that, as we look back on 2018, we need to remember God's goodness. So it says, well, what would that mean, practically speaking? Well, let's just say his supply, how God has supplied us through the years this last year. Psalm 34, 8, O taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man that trusteth in him. Psalm 136, 1, O give thanks unto the Lord, for he is good, for his mercy endureth forever. James 1, 17 says, Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above and cometh down from the Father of lights with whom, there is, no, with whom is no variableness, neither shadow of turning. Oh, I know that not everything in our lives appears to be good, But God, the Bible says that that all things work together for good to them that love God, who are called according to his purpose. I don't understand all the whys, but I do understand that God has a purpose and a plan. And all things fit together. All things work together. 
Kind of like the intricacies of an of a, of a old-fashioned watch with all those gears turning and twisting inside. Every single piece plays a part. And if one of those pieces is damaged, if one part is missing, then the whole watch is useless. And although there are many things in our lives that we may not understand, there are hurts, there are heartaches that God sprinkles into our lives. The fact is, is that every piece plays a role and a part. And God's goodness is without question. In spite of the difficulties, maybe, in spite of any mounting problems in your life, you need to focus and have some Ebenezer stones of when God supplied a need, when God met a need, when God supernaturally provided and interceded on your behalf. Boy, it's so easy to forget that God's been working. It's so easy to forget what God has already done. Boy, as we look back on 2018 as a church, uh, as, as maybe a, a couple, as a family, whatever it might be, we need to go back and remember those things that God has provided and how he's met our needs. Amen. God's grace, his salvation, God's goodness, his supply. And finally, God's guidance. If there was a word I think that would describe his guidance, it would be safety. Because in his guidance is always safety. I'm not talking about necessarily physical safety every time either because there are times that God leads us to Mara or the bitter waters. But there is safety in the center of God's will. There's no better place to be than where God would have us to be. Psalm chapter 119 verse 105 says, Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. For when we have God's light lighting our way, we can assure and rest secure And know that we are safe as we walk. We can see some obstacles. We can see the pitfalls. How many times has a young person or even an adult taken off in their own direction? And we would call that walking out into darkness. (laughs) I don't know about you, but I've been in the darkness many a times in the military. Walking through the night and on night moves and maneuvers. And let me tell you something. I've taken a number of of branches slapping me in the face. I've, I've tripped over stumps. I've found myself on my face looking at the ground, although I should be walking straight ahead because I couldn't see where I was going. It was unsafe. You'd practice night moves so that you would do things exactly the same way every time because it's not like doing it in the light. And you know what? As the believer, we are walking in the light, the Bible says. We have Christ who is the light. And boys, he lights our way as he gives us guidance and direction. We can avoid and get around those pitfalls and those problems that exist. We can avoid many of the problems that we will run into and face in this life. And we'll just simply allow him to guide us. Let's face it. Most of our problems are self-induced problems. And we create our own issues and our own problems. It's not something supernatural that happens to us. It's usually not God that places a, a stumbling block in that sense. It's even not Satan necessarily. We do a good enough job ourselves. But we need an Ebenezer stone that points to his guidance. Remember when God guided you. Remember that time God directed you. This past year, remember when you were making that decision and you weren't sure which which way to go, but you begged God, you prayed, maybe fasted, you sought his leadership and his direction, and God gave you clear direction. You made that decision and you see the outcome of it, the blessing that's been as a result of that choice. 
and you say, God gave me guidance and God gave me leadership. God supplied the safety I needed. He made it safe along life's journey because of him and what he's done in my life. Well, I'll tell you what, those, those, we need some Ebenezer stones. We need some Ebenezer stones that, that remind us of God's grace or his salvation, that God's goodness, his supply, God's guidance, his safety in our lives this past year. What's God done in your life in 2018? that you know it was God. See, the children of Israel, boy, that, that storm, so to speak, that thunder came upon the, the, the Philistines. They couldn't, they couldn't do anything but acknowledge God. What's happened in 2018 that could only be God in your life? Man, you need to put an Ebenezer stone, mark a memorial there. You need to go back and remember that as you move into 2019. And every day you are tempted to question God's presence or his power. You need to look back at the memorial, that Ebenezer stone, and say, no, God, no, God guided me. No, 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 God, he he supplied me and he met my need. No, God gave me that salvation and it's secure and it's settled. I know I can still trust him. So if we have this Ebenezer stones in our lives, if indeed we've experienced God's grace, his goodness, his guidance, what effect should it have on us? What effect should that have on you and I? I believe without a doubt if we will remember those things, if we will continually allow ourselves to be reminded that it's going to move or motivate us to a few things. I think it's going to move and motivate us to serve faithfully. I really do. I think one of the problems is when we forget what God has done in our lives, we are so tempted to get off track and go our own direction in our own way. we got to remember what he's done for us so that we stay on track, so we don't lose sight of, of, of where God would have us go, his purpose, his plan for our life. And may I say that, boy, I'll tell you what, When we start remembering the way God intended, I believe without a doubt it will move us, it will motivate us to serve faithfully. Turn to Joshua chapter 24, verse 15, would you? There is nothing really deep about this message. I I understand. I I understand. But, But I do believe we need to be reminded again of the simplicity of Christ. This is not the last time you'll probably hear the choir sing our song, but probably next Sunday morning, right, will be the last time the choir will sing the introduction that it's been singing because it goes to our theme from last year, your reasonable service. Starting next Sunday night, we're going to have basically a vision night, we call it, but really we're just going to reveal our new theme for the year, something we're going to be emphasizing throughout the year. And so we want to invite you back next Sunday night at 6 o'clock as we have our vision night, as we begin to consider some areas or things we're going to do as we move forward in the new year and just the new theme that we're going to unveil. But boy, I'll tell you what, when we can get our eyes and our attention on God, when we can see those Ebenezer stones and what God has done for us, I believe we'll serve faithfully. Joshua chapter 24, verse 15. Of course, we know that Joshua is coming now to the end of his life or close to thereabouts. And he says, and if it seem evil unto you to serve the Lord, 
Choose you this day whom ye will serve. Whether the gods which your father served that were on the other side of the flood. Do you know that the children of Israel were, were not, uh, you know, that Abraham was the first Hebrew. And he shows up on the scene. But do you know that Abraham was called out from among a people that were idolaters? Do you realize that in Egypt, Israel was idolatrous? Do you realize that's why whenever they, 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 they get outside of Egypt, remember when they're delivered and they, get a, they, they end up uh, there at the mount and Moses goes up into the mount and next thing you know, he's gone too long for their, uh, in their mind at least. He should have been back a long time. What's happened to Moses? Where's Moses at? You wonder why the people so quickly had Aaron mold a golden calf and there they said, these be our gods. You want to know why? Because that's what they were used to doing. See, sometimes we forget that. Sometimes we look at it and go, man, that doesn't make any sense. How could they turn their back on God so quickly? Because really they struggled turning their life to God. They were rooted. Their whole culture was rooted in idolatry. Let me tell you something. Our culture is rooted in idolatry. I mean, you really want to think about our world in which we live and and even in America where we live. Let me tell you something. We are rooted in idolatry here. Someone comes to Jesus Christ, let me tell you, you got a battle on your hands. Because the most natural thing for you to do when things don't turn out the way you think they ought to is to turn back to the very thing you know best. That's idolatry. And that's true in my life too. We have to set a precedent. We got to set some Ebenezer stones in place. We got to be able to look back and say, wait a second now. Wait a second. The enemy's bearing down. Trouble seems to be on every side. But I remember what God did. I'm looking at the Ebenezer stone and it's reminding me of God and who he is. His guidance and his protection and his leadership and his love and his grace in my life. I'm not going to return to the idolatry. I'm going to stay focused and serve only him and serve faithfully. Joshua in this passage, he's telling him, he says, and if it seem evil unto you to serve the Lord, choose you this day whom ye will serve, whether the gods which your fathers served that were on the other side of the flood. And that's, that's, it's not talking about back in Genesis chapter 6. I don't want to go there, okay? But anyway, it says, or the gods of the Amorites in whose land ye dwell. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Now here's the bottom line. I can't make you serve the Lord. And you can't make me serve the Lord. That is a decision only you can make for you and yours. That's a decision only I can make for me and mine. Joshua says, listen now, I'm looking at this nation. We know what God has done. And there were plenty of Ebenezer stones everywhere to be seen. But he says, you know what? When it's all said and done, you're going to make a choice, a decision. You can choose to go back into idolatry. You can choose to follow the gods that your fathers and your forefathers followed. Or you can serve the Lord. And he says, as for me and my house, 
We're serving the Lord. Boy, I believe when you can look at those Ebenezer stones in your life and you can go back to 2018 or even before and you can say, I remember what God did that day. I remember what he did that day. I remember what he did that day. I remember how God delivered me and supernaturally interceded on my behalf that day. I'm telling you, it'll help you. It'll enable you to be faithful, to serve faithfully. And we need to serve the Lord. He paid the price. We just sang the song. He paid a debt. He did not owe. I owed a debt. I could not pay. I needed someone to wash my sin away. Well, who did that? He did. Boy, we need to serve him faithfully. Boy, he extended his grace to me. He provided me with his goodness and he gave me his guidance. Boy, I need to serve faithfully. And I do believe as we remember those things that God has done, it'll compel us. It'll move us. It'll motivate us. To serve faithfully. Not only that, but I believe that it'll move and motivate us to stand firm. Not just serve faithfully, but stand firm. Turn, if you would, to Ephesians chapter 6, verse 13. A very familiar passage here, but one that is appropriate under the circumstances and in the midst of our message today. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 13. How many times in... Again, you don't need to answer, but before we go anywhere, how many times in your own life have you found yourself really standing for God? And then, at some other point, you see that you have slipped somewhat, or maybe even completely abandoned Him. Now listen, you don't need to answer that. Isn't it an amazing thing, as parents, there are some things we share with our children, there are other things we don't. You know, the things we usually don't share as a whole are the bad things. Now, I'm not saying you ought to share all the bad things because I don't know that it ever, it, it's necessarily a good thing to share bad things. But I'm going to tell you something. Probably in the closets of many people over the age of 40 here, there's been a time in your life when you turned your back on God, that you slipped away from where you originally stood. You were firm in Christ when you trusted Him received him. But then there came a time in your life when you allowed the world and the distractions of the world to keep you from him. You made bad choices. You did some stupid things. That's called living. It's called life. But boy, we sure trust and hope that our children don't make the same stupid mistakes, don't we? You stood firm, but maybe you took a step or two the opposite direction and maybe you ended up completely out. But thank God you're here today. That must mean you realized that you made a bad decision. And you got that decision straightened out, and now here you are, I trust. That's good. That's how it ought to be. But I think sometimes the reason why we slip away is because we forget what God has already done. We lose sight of His goodness, of His guidance of his grace. And when we do that, it's easy to say, well, I'll go it alone a little while. I don't really need him. I could handle this by myself. And then we're, here we are. We're not standing firm anymore. We're on shaky ground. But I believe that if we'll have those Ebenezer stones those, and we'll remember what God has done in our life, if we'll remember the day we got saved and how he supernaturally miraculously transformed our life. 
when we remember his goodness and how he met needs through the years and even in this past year, as we think about the leadership and the guidance that he has given us and how it has led us to the right place at the right time, it will move and motivate us to stand firm. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 13 says, Wherefore, take unto you the whole armor of God, that ye may be able to withstand in the evil day. And having done all to stand, stand therefore. Boy, you got to stand. It's not enough just to simply... Be saved. We need to stand. It's not enough to simply serve for a period of time. We need to serve a lifetime. We need to stand for God in a world that is ever moving away from Him. In a a culture that is ever forgetting the God that created the universe. We need to stand and say, no, He's real. No, He lives. No, He's on the throne. No, He's real in my life taking a stand. We're so quick to shut our mouths as the world continues to sprout or spew their their falsehoods. Talking of evolution and talking about just their immorality and lifting up and exalting things that are anti-Christ. And here we are cowering down, just trying to stay away from the fray, not be hit by any shrapnel that's being spewed out of their mouths. Well, we ought to take a firm stand. Say, God is real today. He's real in my life. He's who you need, whether you know it or not. And He loves you, whether you love Him or not. Do it with the right spirit and the right attitude and the right heart. But stand firm. I believe we get those Ebenezer stones in place. It'll move us to stand firm. But not only will it help us to serve faithfully and stand firm, but I believe as we just already touched on and kind of insinuated that it will enable us and motivate us and move us to share our faith. Turn, if you would, to Luke chapter 8, verse 37. One of the tremendous examples of this in the Word of God, I believe, is found in Luke chapter 8. Again, as we establish these Ebenezer stones, as we look back and we recognize and acknowledge God's grace, His salvation, God's goodness, His supply, God's guidance, His safety, I believe it's going to move and motivate us to serve faithfully, to stand firm, but also to share our faith. Notice what it says in Luke chapter 8, verse 37. Again, the Lord has taken His disciples across the sea and they've landed and there they've met a maniac. A maniac from Gadara. This maniac was totally and completely out of control. Out of control. He had no regard for others. He had no regard even for himself. He lived in the caves and he ran about naked and tearing his own flesh and cutting himself and completely and totally disregarding self, God, family. Yet he met the master, amen? Amen. And notice what the Bible says here in verse 37. Then the whole multitude of the country of the Gadarenes round about besought him to depart from them, for they were taken for, with great fear. Remember, he cast out all those demons, got rid of all of those that were inside that man. It wouldn't be till after they were out that Jesus could move in. 
The Bible says here, for they were taken with great fear and went, and he went up into the ship and returned back again. Now the man out of whom the devils were departed besought him that he might be with him. Remember now, they have seen this man too, by the way. <laughs> He's a totally different person. He's experienced the touch of the master. And it goes on to say that, that the man, now the man whom, uh, of whom the devils were departed, verse 38, besought him, Jesus, that he might be with him. But Jesus sent him away. And someone says, boy, that's cruel. No, hold on now. Look what he tells him. Return to thine own house and shew how great things God hath done unto thee. And he went his way and published throughout the whole city how great things Jesus had done unto him. Now, I'm just going to throw this in to try to help you. But I want you to notice a man here who put his faith in Jesus Christ, who Christ himself supernaturally healed this man, cast out demons, transformed and changed his life. This man has a desire. This man has a heart to follow the Lord Jesus, to walk with him and talk with him and to be with him and to literally travel with him and to serve him in direct communication. I mean, face to face. And Jesus says, huh, nope. Nope, nope, that's not what I want from you. But I know this is where I need to be, and I know I should be following you. You're the one that delivered me. You're the one that saved me. You're the one that gave me life. Nope. No, 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 you got it wrong. Return to thine own house. Go away, go away. He sent him away, the Bible says. Return to thine own house and shew how great things God has done. You know what? How many times do we think we know what the will of God is? And leadership says, no, I think you'd be best suited here. And you go, I know the will of God. You can't tell me what his will is. You don't know. You're not God. I'm telling you, you're in dangerous ground, friend. I want to encourage you to think before you speak and especially think before you rip the authority to your children and family. You need to think about some things and pray about some things. And you need to talk to them and ask them why, not just what, but why. See, you may think you ought to be the next in line to be the choir director. You should be the next in line to be on the staff. You should be the next in line to be the piano player, the premier piano player. You should be the next in line to be over the Sunday school. You should be the next in line to do this or this or this. Be careful. Maybe there's another area you fit better. God said, you know what? I've got, a, I've got 12 others all around me right now that are walking with me and follow me. You know what I need? I need a witness right where you are. Your testimony is no more powerful. It is more powerful here than it will ever be anywhere else. You, you know another thing I realized too? Is that when we come to Christ and our lives change, you know where your greatest influence is? Your own home. And your own family. 
And yet many times they're the very ones that we neglect because we're fearful of them. And we don't want it to affect our relationship with any of our family. I'm going to tell you something. Jesus is saying, no, you depart. What I want you to do is I want you to go publish what I've done in your life to your closest family, friends, and neighbors. I just threw that stuff in there because I thought it was fun. And I think it's helpful. I'm going to be honest with you. We got we to gotta stop thinking we know everything. Stop being so prideful and arrogant. And allow God to do some things. And let him use people that he's placed in our lives to do that. And that's the same thing. You'd say, well, that's stupid. Well, then tell your kids it's stupid to follow you as a parent. It's the same principle, leadership, authority. They'd be stupid not to follow you. You say, you can't use that word stupid. Well, I did, so it is what it is. I've already said I can't take it back. At least it's not a four-letter word. Five. So I'm good to go. My dad used to say, don't you be saying those four-letter words. Well, I just had to use the five-letter one then. Stupid. I got called that when I was growing up, and I'm still pretty good shape. <laughs> Not too many re- ramifications. <laughs> <I'm> <laughs> Some would say I didn't make it. But anyway, share our faith. Hey, listen, you have a friend or a loved one who is diagnosed with a disease that you were cured of? Let me ask you something. Don't you, aren't you excited to share the cure? Hey, I went through the same thing you're going through, and here's what I did. Hey, I I know what you're going through a little bit. I've been there a little bit, and here's what I did. Here's what what I found out, and here's the research I did, and here's the drugs I took, or here's the avenue or the direction I went. Here's the doctor I saw. Here's the therapist I saw. Here's the the chiropractor I've been to. We're excited to help people like that. We ought to be equally excited to help people find the Savior. Boy, when we start looking at our Ebenezer stones and we realize what God has done and the grace he's exhibited and shared with us and extended to us, we think about just the guidance that he's granted us, the goodness that he just gives to us each day. Man, it ought to fire us up and we ought to say, you know what? I'm going to share my faith because I want other people to have what I have. See, those Ebenezer stones in our lives, to remember what God has done It'll move and motivate us to serve faithfully, to stand firm, and to share our faith. Boy, I don't know about you, but as we come to a close of 2018, I think it's important that we reflect on 2018. That we go back in our minds for a period of time, even just for a short time. I know someone says, well, we're not to look back, we're to look forward, and yeah, whatever. That's not even the context of the passage. We need to look back on our lives and what God has done, and we need to find some Spots where God stepped in and interceded. We need to look at what only God could have done and say, I'm going to place a memorial there, an Ebenezer stone there. And every time I'm tempted to doubt God, every time I'm tempted to walk away from God, every time I'm tempted to to be angry or upset with God, I'm going to look at that Ebenezer stone and remember what God did for me. And I do believe that in remembering, we'll serve faithfully. We'll stand firmly and we'll share our faith consistently. Let's do what God wants us to do. Maybe today you're lost without Christ. I mean, if someone said to you, if you died today, do you know where you'd spend eternity? You'd say, well, I hope heaven. 
We can put our Bibles away. We're done. I wonder today, do you know for sure heaven's your home? Have you settled your eternal salvation, your eternal life, where you'll spend it? Because there's only two places that we go, heaven or hell when we die. There's no other place that the Bible speaks about but those two places. Eternity is spent either in God's presence or in his absence. And the only way you spend it in his presence is if you have found him in this life. You don't get to find him in the next life. You must find him now. And the Bible says, they that seek me early shall find me. You come to Christ recognizing and realizing that it is your sin that placed him on that cross And yet he came, God himself, became a man, lived a perfect sinless life and paid the penalty for your sin and mine. And you cry out to him and say, you paid my debt, a debt I could not pay. I'm asking you to pay my debt now. I want you to come into my life, be my savior. I want you in my life. And I can't get to heaven myself. I need you to do it. Yours is the only sacrifice that will get me to heaven. There's nothing I could ever say or do that would do that. I'm trusting only you, Lord. It is really that simple. A conscious decision to receive and accept him and what he did for you on Calvary. Won't you settle that today? Don't leave here questioning or wondering whether you'll be in heaven. You can know. These things have I written unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God that ye may know that ye have eternal life. 1 John 5.13 You can know. Settle it today, won't you? And if you're a child of God, place some Ebenezer stones in your life. Look back on them often. Remember what God has done. And I believe you'll find that it'll give you strength to serve faithfully, to stand firmly, and to share your faith. Father, we love you. We thank you for this time we've had together in this place. And Lord, we ask that you would just be real in our lives and you'd continue to help us. We realize and recognize that we are at the end of 2018, but... Father, with your help, we want to remain faithful. We want to stand firmly. We don't want to give any ground to the devil or Satan. We want to stand for you and live for you, and we want to honor you with our lives. Lord, there may be those in our midst that are without you and have never invited you into their life, have never settled their soul's salvation. They are good people, maybe, in the world's eyes, but they are not godly in the sense that they have had their sin washed away and forgiven by the precious, perfect blood of Jesus Christ. Lord, today, may they recognize the need to call on Christ to settle their salvation, to have their sin forgiven, and to be able to stand clean in your presence because there's no way we can clean ourselves. We need you and your precious blood. We'll thank you. We'll praise you in Christ's name. Amen. Let's all stand to our feet, every head bowed, every eye closed.